All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who love to get a Bible into your hand. So if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. And as you grab a copy of God's Word, turn to Galatians chapter six as we finish up this series. We've been going through this book of Galatians called Freedom. As you're turning there, you know, my, my kids were, were riding in the back seat of, of the car as I was driving. They were riding with their cousins in the back seat, and they were bragging about whose dad was the best. I got to tell you, when, when, when there are cousins on Libby's side of the family bragging about that, it's a tough competition for me, all right? Her brothers, one's an ER doctor, another one's a geologist, and the third one's a surgeon at Harvard, okay? So... <laughs> <clears throat> right, so now my kids are at a young enough age that they still think that me being able to balance a chair on my face is way cooler than Harvard. So I'm still doing okay, all right? But here they are, and they're bragging back and forth. And, and so I hear one of my daughters say, oh yeah? Because that's how you start to brag about your dad, right? Oh yeah? She goes, oh yeah? Has your dad ever been in jail in the States? <laughs> Again, my kids are at an age where me being in jail is cooler than saving lives in an ER, right? So they're like, yeah, and just be thinking, wait a minute, has my pastor done hard time? I haven't done hard time. Here's what happened, okay? I, I was on a road trip with students in the last ministry that I ran, and we were driving down the, the East Coast of the United States, and we were in Georgia at this time, and we we're driving on this old back country road up in the, the hills of Georgia. It was about 5 a.m., and we're looking for this rock climbing site we wanted to get to, and as we're going, one of the students in the van says, hey, Kai, can, can, he's been videotaping the whole road trip. He goes, hey, you know what? With the sun rising, it would be so cool for the video I'm making to get a shot from on top of the van. So it's shot through the kayaks and all the gear up there. I'm like, stupid, okay, I'm dumb, all right? I say, yeah, sounds good, pull over. He jumps up on the roof, all right? And we start off. No, I'm telling you, it was like three seconds later. Now it's 5 a.m., we're 20 minutes from any major road up in this tiny little road. Five seconds later, there's a conservation officer right behind us with lights flashing. Okay, a couple hours later, I find myself actually sitting in a jail cell in this small town in Georgia, charged with what they call reckless endangerment. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, a lot of things run through your mind at that time. One is, I don't know any lawyers outside of Matlock, and I'm not sure I know his number, right? And I'm looking around. I've seen The Great Escape, but I'm looking around. There's no, there's no, no Steve McQueen in this, in this jail cell. Nobody here is going to plan some masterful escape out here. So I'm, I'm sitting in this jail cell in Georgia, far from home, wondering, how am I going to get out of this? Here's the thing, it wasn't a misunderstanding. I, I wasn't falsely accused, the charge was real. And now here I am, literally trapped, far from home, without any hope of how I would ever make it out of this. And my guess is this, there are many here this morning that have that same sort of feeling. I mean, my, my guess is that every one of us here would cry out together, I, I wanna be free. We've been, we've been tracking all through this book, this theme of freedom. In fact, our first point this morning is that it's this cry that each of our hearts would call out, I want to be free. Maybe for you, circumstances have, have closed in on you and you feel trapped and, and maybe very few people know or nobody knows the, the where you're at and, and, and yeah, we all look good and free and happy here because we're coming to church, Right? but you're frustrated, you're confused. Maybe you're just about ready to give up. 
at least maybe ready to give up on this idea that you could ever be free. This whole idea of, of freedom that we keep talking, but it seems so far off because you've sought for freedom in so many places and they've always come up short. I mean, maybe you've, you've looked for freedom. You, you've tried money. You've tried sex. You've tried work. You've tried popularity. You've, you've tried status. You've tried control. You've tried relationships. You've tried substances. And all of these things, although they bring temporary feeling of freedom, every one of them has led you to the same place where you find yourself trapped again. And all through this letter, Paul has been talking over and over again about this idea of being trapped, of being enslaved. And what he says, you're enslaved to the law. Now, now when we hear this idea of the law, I think when we think about it in biblical terms, our mind right away goes, oh, you mean like the Ten Commandments? Like I'm, I'm enslaved to that. And, and yes, God's law is outlined in the Ten Commandments. But, but listen, even if you don't read the Bible, even if you're here this morning, like, man, I'm just checking out church. I don't even know if I believe in God. Listen, the voice of the law is all around us all the time. We wrestle with it every day. And, and that voice might look different for everybody here in this room. You may be hearing the voice in a different way, but the voice is always this way. The voice is always accusing. It could be an advertisement. And you see it and it tells you, man, you, you should look different. It could be a young girl walking through the halls of school, seeing the others and going, I'll never look as pretty as them. It could be somebody at work and, and they get a promotion. You see that and you think, man, I'll never get the promotion. They'll get it. It could be your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house. It could be somebody that you know, their family, that you see their family and your family doesn't measure up. It, it could be a relationship that you're in that's broken this morning and all of these things scream out, you're not enough. You'll never measure up. And the voice, it, it calls for us, do more, be more, be better, win approval. And whether that voice is the voice from family or your boss or people around you or society or most often, isn't that the voice we hear deep inside ourselves where we even say to ourselves, I'm not enough. I gotta strive harder if I'm gonna measure up. And, and so what do we do? We live every day trying to satisfy this judge so we can find freedom. If only my grades were better, then my parents would approve of me. If only I was in better shape, then that person I love would find me attractive. If only I had a better job and, a, and a, I could make a name for myself and then I would get respect. If, if only I could overcome this addiction and, and then, then I could accept myself. If, if only I showed how great I was to people, then they would see me. If I, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I. And, and this is what Paul's so passionate about in this letter. He says, listen, if you're in a pit and you're, you're trapped in that pit, stop trying to dig your way out. With this shovel of self-improvement, you're only growing deeper and deeper. So then what does freedom look like then? I mean, what would it look like for each of us here in this room today to, to understand what it is to be totally free? I mean, if you're here as a student, what, what would it look like for you in your freedom to say, you know what, I can look to my future and I see what my freedom would look like in my future. If you're a young adult, what, do, what would it look like for you to say, what does a meaningful life look like for me? Men and women, what, what do we give our lives to this morning so that we could say at the end of our life, I fought the good fight. I've run the race. 
I mean, what is it that makes for a good life, a life with purpose, a life with freedom? I mean, this is what Paul's driving at at the end of this letter. In fact, look at verse 11 of chapter six. Paul says this, he says, see what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, now Paul's letters, pretty much all of his letters, he would have dictated them to somebody else who had been writing them down, but most of his letters would end with him writing something at the very end, often because he wants to authenticate that this is a letter from me, the Apostle Paul. It's not an imposter just sending you a letter. He takes the pen out of the person's hand who's been taking down what he's been dictating all through this letter. And he says, I'm writing this last part. And he says, I'm writing this in bold letters. I'm writing this capitalized, underlined, bolded. I mean, I can imagine Paul saying this. He's like, give me that. I, I gotta say this. I gotta write this out. And I mean, can you see him so full of emotion, so, so passionate about this, that his writing is getting bigger. And he goes, sorry for my handwriting, but I'm so, I'm so fired up about this. I mean, I love it because it shows us, listen, listen, the Bible is not a boring, dead book of doctrine. Paul's not writing here just this thing that has no application for your life. No, he's talking about things of life and death, of freedom and slavery. Paul is so passionate about ending this letter. He, he ends with what some would say, this is the summary of Paul's whole life. This is the key to freedom. The whole point of Paul's life, the whole point of Jesus' life, the whole message of God's word all points to what Paul's ending on here. The whole thing that makes the gospel different from every other religion, Paul points to us to freedom. This freedom in the gospel that says this, that, that my freedom is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, look what he says in verse 14. He says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul says, I, I boast only. There's one thing I take joy in. There's one thing that I glory in. There's one thing that I'm consumed by. There's one thing that my life is obsessed with and it's the cross. Now notice he doesn't say here, here's one of the things I'm obsessed about. He says, it's the only thing. He says, far be it from me. The NIV says, may I never. The King James says, God forbid. Well, this word he's using here in the original, it's, it's the strongest negative you could come up with. He's saying it's virtually impossible for me to have any other obsession than this. My life is about the cross. This was Paul's life-changing, altering statement of obsession of his. I'm all about the cross. And listen, as he says that, we read that. And in our 2016, as we sit here, we go, yeah, the cross, that's great. It doesn't sound offensive to us at all. It doesn't even sound weird to us. This is radically offensive to the first century listener. I mean, for, for, for those in Paul say, this is crazy talk. I mean, we, we don't feel the weight of Paul saying I'm all about the cross because the cross has become our logo. Right? We wear the cross like jewelry. We have it up on our walls, maybe in our home. And if you think about this, there are a lot of things in fashion, right? Maybe your kids look at your pictures of when, when you were younger and they're like, what? Are, I can't believe you wore that, right? Like, did, did you really wear a baby blue tux at your wedding? Dad, did you really have a mullet? 
All business in the front, party in the back. I did, right? And, right? And the, but here's the thing. If you were to take someone from the first century and bring them here, and they would see you wearing a cross around your neck, they would say, hey, hey, do you know what that is? Like, do you reckon that's a horrible means of execution and torture you have around your neck there? I mean, that, that wasn't just designed to kill people. It was designed to humiliate them. They would take somebody, strip them naked, place them on the, the, this piece of wood and pierce their hands and their feet, lift them up and leave them there for people to come by to mock and to spit on, to curse at. Even the worst of Roman criminals would not be killed this way. I mean, the closest comparison I could think of is if we were to take the, uh, a little lynching rope and make a little gold lynching rope and wear that around our necks. I mean, it's shocking that Paul would say, listen, I wouldn't boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's shocking. Listen, if we understood the cross, it should be shocking for us too. It should be just as offensive for us to hear this. It should be as, just as offensive for our pride and our flesh to hear this. But he's been saying it all through this letter. Galatians 2.20 said, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 3.1, he said, you foolish Galatians, who's, who's fooled you? you? Jesus was lifted up and portrayed you as crucified. Over and over again, he keeps pointing to the cross that Jesus Christ took our curse and our shame on the cross so we could be free. So why would you have this cross as your obsession for life? Why should everybody here in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, why should you only boast in the cross? More than, than if you're a young person, more than who you're dating, more than what your family looks like, more than who you're married to, more than what you wear, more than the house you live in, more than the things you strive for. More important than whatever job advancement you might get, what salary you can make, more important than anything else. Why would we boast in only the cross and none of that other stuff? Here's our second point as we start to look at this, what Paul lays out for us. He, here's the first reason we would boast, only in the cross, because the cross shows me why I'm not free. The cross shows me why I'm not free. Now you gotta remember that when Paul's writing this letter, the, the religious leaders who are coming along and causing all this trouble, they didn't deny the cross or the empty tomb. They said, yeah, 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 the cross is great. It's good that Jesus died to save you. But listen, we need to add to that. We need to do our good works to add to that. And, and we can be free now by doing all this stuff. So here's the list of things you need to do. And circumcision was one of those things. Hey, this is a tradition we do. You gotta do this. Here's the checklist. But here's the reality of the cross. Here's why it's offensive to say that it's all about the cross. Because the cross says, listen, you are not free and there's nothing you can do to free yourself. You did the crime, you gotta do the time. I mean, the cross shows us how serious our situation really is. I mean, scripture's so clear that we are slaves to sin. We are dead in our sin. We are unable to save ourselves. This is what's offensive about the cross because it, it confronts us with this reality that there's nothing in us. There's nothing that we bring to the table. There's nothing, yeah, yeah, you know, God's gonna find me okay because when we weigh it all out, I got a lot of good and bring, no, we bring nothing. It's all God's grace. This is why the cross doesn't play well with religion. 
This is why the cross is so offensive to our, our, our self-loving, self-help-driven culture that says, oh no, you're a champion inside. You just need to find that inner champion. You just need to be released to your full potential. You just need to do these three things. Follow these five steps to freedom and the cross comes along and it says, no, God says, listen, go to the cross and look at my son. Look at the cross and see my divine wrath. See the weight of sin poured out on my son for your sin. We can't walk away from that saying, hey, Jesus, thanks for doing your little part. I'm gonna join in now together. We can rock this life, right? No, we come to the cross and we fall on our face and, and our prayers, we don't even know the prayers to pray, all the, the verses we think we're bringing, all the, but I go to church every Sunday, but I serve in all these places. We come to the cross, fall on our face with nothing to say, none of our good works bringing nothing to the table. It's only the cross that we boast in. Because we recognize that, that, that superficial religion can't help. Self-help doesn't help. Why? Be, because becoming a Christian, it's not about renovating something that's old and trying to spruce it up a little bit. It's not like, well, I'll just put new hardware in my old kitchen. I'll put it on all the doors and stuff, and it'll make my kitchen look new. No, becoming a Christian is not about behavior modification. If it was that, listen, when we try to do those things, we're sitting in the jail cell putting up wallpaper. That's all we're doing. Saying, I'm gonna make this jail cell feel like home. It'll feel like I'm free. But listen, when we come to Christ, when we come to the cross, it's not a renovation. We come to the cross to be killed. We die at the cross and we're raised again to a new life. It's totally tearing down the old building and building a new one. Jesus didn't come to make us nicer people in Muskoka and Perry Sound. Jesus Christ came so we could be set free. He came to kill you and I so we could be raised again. Because think about it. If it was just about, hey, let's be more moral, let's just have nicer lives, then what a mistake the cross was. I mean, if it just took self-righteousness and a little bit of willpower, why would God send his son to die a horrible death on the cross. Listen, the cross shows us, we don't need to be made nicer, we need to be set free, and so we need Jesus. He came to turn prisoners into heirs. He came to turn slaves into sons and daughters, and this happens at the cross, where Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died in our place. He took our penalty for our sin and he raised again to new life so we could be set free. Paul says, that's where I boast. I boast in that cross. I boast in that thing that shows me that I'm hopeless and broken and utterly lost. I mean, what a place to start, right? The world is saying, no, 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 don't start there. Don't start where how bad people are. No, tell people how good they are. Don't talk about sin and the cross. We gotta tell people about how, how great they are. No, 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 because what happens is the more we do that, listen, every form of false religion, every false teacher, you'll listen to them teach. They won't talk about the cross and what they're doing every time is they're trying to elevate me and bring down God. Let, let me lift up people and, and let me push down God. That's what happens when we take the cross out. Let, let me make my sin seem smaller and God's holiness not seem so important. 
But the cross that shines so brightly on our sin, you can't go past the cross without seeing our sin punished in Jesus, seeing that we are all sinners, we're all rebels, we're all enemies of God. All of us morally broken that we can't fix ourselves. I mean, no matter how high of a self-esteem you have, no matter how great a work ethic you have, we can't save ourselves. But listen, by starting in that, what you're starting is you're starting in reality. When you start in reality, there's hope. Because not only do we see in the cross why we are not free, listen, the cross is what sets us free. Our third point this morning is this, it's the cross that sets us free. Why do we boast on the cross? Because it's in the cross that I've been set free. It shows me the prison cell that I'm in, but then it points me to my hope, my freedom in embracing the cross. We see three things here in the text that we're set free from. First is this, I'm set free from saving myself. Look at verse 12. First part of verse 12, it says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. It's those who want to make a good showing. It's it's those people that are like, hey, what do I need to do to make myself pleasing to God? What do I need to do to make myself pleasing to other people? And the cross steps in and blows up any idea of us working hard to please God. That Christianity's not about human achievement. Christianity's not about what we do to please God. I mean, every single religion in the world, every single ideology, they may look different, but every one of them has the same main ingredient in them. And that ingredient is this. Here's what you do to please God. Here's what you need to do to be whole. Here's what you need to do to have freedom. And the gospel comes in and says you can't do anything to please God. Why? Because Christianity, listen, it's not about human achievement. It's about divine accomplishment. It's not about what we do, it's what Christ has done. And we want so badly to work at this, don't we? No, 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 there has to be something I can do. There there has to be many ways to God. Why why do we say that? Because because if there are many ways, it shows that I can make it. I I heard one pastor say this, if, if, if there were a thousand ways to God, we'd say, no, there's gotta be a thousand and one. Jesus steps in and says, no, I'm the only way. It's only through the cross that you find hope and life and freedom And the cross comes against our pride and it says, listen, you can't do it. God's made a way for you. You can't save yourself. When I I was sitting in that jail cell in Georgia and I asked one of the officers, hey, what do I do to get out of here? Is there anything I can do? And he said, yeah, you know what? We can do something. If you have $500 in cash, I don't know how they do law down there, but that was what he said. He goes, if you have $500 in cash, this whole thing can be taken care of. I barely had $50 in cash. It could have been $5 million. I'm like, yeah, I don't have that. And now here's the end of the story. If you're wondering, okay, how come you're here now and you're not like tatted up with a collar on your neck that beeps, right? No, here's what it is. The, the reason for that is, is we did go to see the justice of the peace or the, the judge that was, that was working that day. And you know what he did? He said, don't worry about it. You're free to go. He says, let me go. He said, we'll, do, just, we'll just take care of it. Just, just pay a little processing fee and, and, and you can be set free. And, and they, they let me off with no charges. Why? Why? All because of grace. It was only grace. I, mean, I broke the law and they said, you can go. But here's the thing about what happened there. It was all grace, but was, was justice served? No, I, I broke the law and they just let me off. Listen, God is fully gracious, but God is also completely just. And only at the cross, 
where Christ died in our place, where he paid the debt that we owed. God's justice was fully met as his grace was poured out in that moment. So listen, your freedom in Christ has integrity. But what about my sin? It's been taken care of. It hasn't just been brushed aside. God just didn't wink and look the other way. He didn't hide it under the carpet. No, he dealt with it at the cross. The cross gives us everything we need for freedom and salvation. Our sin fully dealt with. Our lives declared over us by God, you are justified. I've said this, that means just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd lived Christ's perfect life. And so Paul says, man, I don't boast in anything else. I've been set free by that. I'm, I'm free. I, I don't have to live for the outward show like these guys are. They're, they're doing it for a good showing. I'm free. From, I don't have to live for the applause of people anymore. Look at verses 12 and 13. So they do it for a good showing in the flesh. They would force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're doing it all for the applause of people. I mean, they're putting religion on people so they could go maybe back to the synagogue and go, five circumcisions today, bam, right? That's what they're doing. Look at what we did, right? Look at all the people that I converted into this and I did it all. Would you guys give me a high five? Would you praise me? They're saying, look at all the good things I've done. And how quickly do we become enslaved to the opinions of other people? But the cross sets us free. Why? Because we can rest in him, because we know that the creator of the universe, we know his opinion of us. We know what he speaks over our lives. And God's opinion of you through the cross, if you're a child of his, is that he sees Christ's righteousness, Christ's perfect record. So, so if, if you have Jesus, you don't need to find your acceptance in who you know. You don't need to find your acceptance any longer in what people think about you. We don't need to, to look for the applause of people because we have the pleasure of God. We're set free from saving ourselves. We're set free from people's opinions of, of who we are. Here's another thing we're set free from. We're, we're set free from fear. I've been set free from fear. Because of the cross, we no longer have to be fearful. Why? Because my safety, my security is no longer found in the things of the world. I mean, look what Paul says in verse 12. Why weren't they talking about the cross? He goes on, he says, they do this to be a good showing, but why also? Because if they force you to be circumcised, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So these false teachers go, no, we don't want to be about the cross because when we talk about the cross, we're going to be persecuted. Listen, if, if you're a first century Jewish Christian and you said, the cross is everything to me. This is what I boast in. My obsession is Jesus Christ and the cross. I don't need the Jewish rituals any longer. Listen, you lose everything. You're kicked out of the synagogue. You're probably kicked out of your home. You most likely lose your career. You're a total social outcast. But look at the spread of Christianity. The gospel has grown in soil that's been soaked with the blood of martyrs, starting with Stephen in Acts chapter 7 being stoned to death, all the way to our day where thousands of Christians today are being persecuted and put to death. Why? Because they boast in nothing but the cross. Look at 
I mean, to follow Jesus, if you truly embrace the cross, to be a true follower of Jesus, there is a cost. If you look in your life and go, man, there's no cost in my life. Are you really following Jesus? I mean, Paul points to these other guys who won't talk about the cross. He goes, these guys are wimps. They, they want Jesus, but they don't want the price that comes with the cross. Look at verse 17. He says this. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I, mean, I love it. He, he's saying, hey, hey, these people want you to have some physical mark on your body called circumcision. I'll tell you what. Let me show you the marks of following Jesus. And you want something simple as that? Let me show you what it really looks like. What happens when you follow Jesus? Hey, check out these guys. Hey, you want to see where they threw stones at me in Lystra? I mean, you should read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23, Paul lays out, hey, hey, here's my, here's my resume of suffering. Let me read it for you so you don't have to turn there. He says, I've been flogged. I've been in prison, flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, right? Because 40, they say, would kill somebody, so we can do 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul's saying, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. How's that for an invitation, right? Maybe we'll do that after. The buses will wait, raise your hand. Who wants to suffer for Jesus, right? What's the cross saying though? Paul's saying, listen, because of the cross though, I can do all that. I'm, I'm free from fear of that. I don't fear suffering any longer. Paul's saying, listen, you can tell who's embraced the cross and who hasn't. The person who hasn't embraced the cross will, will shy away from, run scared of anything they can do to get away from identifying with Christ if it's gonna bring suffering. But listen, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus says, expect to suffer. Why? Because you're following a suffering servant. And Paul's basically saying here, it's crazy, he's saying, I've been set free to suffer. I can suffer for Christ. It doesn't make sense, does it? Or does it? Who called us to follow him? Jesus didn't call us like that guy in the infomercial who's laying on the yacht with all those ladies and money all around. That's not, hey, follow me, you get all this. No, what did Jesus say? Follow me and die. Take up your cross and follow me. We identify with, we celebrate a savior who was mocked and beaten and spit upon and nailed to a cross. And now Christian history flows from one century after another century with those who have suffered for the name of Christ. Why is it? I think it's this, because how does God show his love for us? He started, the very first act that he showed love is he showed us love through a suffering Jesus. And now he continues to show how much he loves the world through us as suffering followers. I mean, think about it. How would we ever, how does God show the world that what he has is greater than anything else we could ever have? How, does, how do we show the watching world in Muskoka and in Perry Sound that, that God is better than anything else I can get in this world? How do we show that if we cling to the stuff of the world? 
if we're fearfully holding on to everything in the temporal, Listen, it's, it's when we lose everything in the midst of that loss, in the midst of that crisis, where we can stand and say, Jesus is good. Christ is enough. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my joy. He's my strength. The, the world looks in on that and says, that's crazy. Man, there's something happening there. There's something deeper there. There's something more real. I mean, what's freedom look like? True freedom is a life of sacrifice. True freedom. Listen, we're not set free for me. We're set free for you. Do you get that? I have not been set free so I can get what I want. I've been set free for you. The first part last week we talked, Galatians chapter six, our freedom was all for what? For each other. I mean, that's so much more powerful than the world seeing us cling to our stuff, isn't it? cling to our time, cling to our control. I mean, if I'm in the world and I see that, I would look in on a group of Christians living that way and I'd say, listen, other than Sunday morning, we pretty much go for the same thing. You just tack Jesus on the end of it. We pretty much have the same goals in life. But in the church here in Galatia, Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't minimize the cross. Don't just live to be safe and comfortable without Jesus and, and you, can't you see how it creeps into our church culture, culture even today? We say goofy things like this. Remember, I keep talking about this, these things that are better cross-stitched on your grandma's pillow than in doctrine, right? Here's one, here's another one. You're never more safe than when you're in the middle of the will of God. I mean, who made that up? How, how does that jive with what I just wrote, read to you from 1 Corinthians? You're never more safe than when you're in the, it didn't seem like that for Paul. in the center of God's will for you might be the most dangerous place you could be. But the cross stands in the midst of that and reminds you, listen, your security isn't found in safety here in this world. It leads us to our last thing we're set free from this morning. It's this. You're set free from wasting your life. I'm set free from wasting my life. Listen, when we live with this kind of confidence on the cross, we say, listen, I don't have to fear anything. I can live in the grace of God. I have a security for eternity that I'm his son, that I'm his daughter. We're set free from just wasting our lives. Look what Paul says in verse 14. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, the world's dead to me. I'm dead to the world. When Paul came to Christ, everything changed for him. From that moment on, the world is no longer my satisfaction. The world is no longer my joy. I mean, I love in Philippians where Paul lays it out. Here's all the great things I've got in the world. I'm gonna pile these all here and guess what? It's a pile of dung compared to what? To knowing Christ Jesus. That's a radically gospel-driven way to live. Where you say the world is nothing to me because I've got Jesus. I mean, think about that for a second. Think for yourself, how does that practically change the way you daily live your life? Where you no longer have to run around and look for fulfillment and, and pursue all these things that the world says, get this if you want satisfaction. Get this if you want joy. You need this if you want to be fulfilled. 
And we're set free from that. This world has nothing to offer us, so what? So that we now are free to love, free to give, free to go, free to sacrifice, free to serve. Because our identity is in Christ, because we say Christ in me, Christ my life. My prayers is my prayers that God would raise up in our church more parents that point their, their kids to something greater than what the world offers. Something greater than, hey, do good in school so you can get a good job and buy a nice house close to us so we can see your grandkids. Can we point our kids to something greater than that? There's something so much greater. There's a freedom from that. There's an eternal purpose. There's a life that isn't wasted. In fact, I just heard the story, read the story this week about a pastor, and he says it this way. He says he, he met this man from the, the Batak tribe of northern Sumatra in Indonesia. It's the, the world's most Muslim-dominated nation. And he shared how, how years ago, this missionary couple came to their tribe, 100% Muslim-controlled tribe, and they came to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The tribal leaders were so angry, they took them, they killed them, and they cannibalized them. Years later, another missionary couple comes to the same tribe, begin to share the gospel. And this time the tribal leaders are thinking, this is the same thing those other people were talking about. So they, so they began to listen. Eventually they responded to the gospel and they, they began to, to share Christ with others in the tribe as, as more came to Christ. And, and soon the whole tribe had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And today, today there are three million believers in the Batak tribe of northern Sumatra in Indonesia. Here's the kicker, though. The pastor telling the story said this. He says, here's the question that pierced my heart. Am I willing to be the first couple in order the second couple might bear fruit? Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Are we willing to be the first ones so the, the others may come behind us to bear fruit? Are we willing to give everything even if we don't even see it in the here and now? I pray, God, would you raise up new believers, young believers? Would you transform older believers who would say, God, you give me so many good gifts to enjoy, but I only boast in one thing. I am only obsessed by one thing, and that's your cross. That's the gospel. I don't need the success. I don't need the savings accounts. I don't need the applause of people. I don't need the trinkets that this world offers. I want my life to count, so Jesus, spend it. Spend my life however you want, for the cause of the gospel to be accomplished in me and through me. Listen, when we see the, the cross, when we boast only in the cross, we're actually set free to enjoy the gifts God gives us. Listen, I've got an amazing wife. I've got three great kids. I live in Muskoka. That's a good thing. I, I get to pastor a church that honestly, best church I've ever experienced in my life. But because of the cross, I don't cling to those things, right? Because of the cross, I'm reminded every day, hey, Kai, Kai, you didn't get those because you earned those. It's all by the grace of God. All evidences of the grace of God. All of these things, all the things that you have that we're so blessed with, praise God for those things. But listen, enjoy them in the shadow of the cross. Understand it's the cross that speaks freedom over us, not that stuff. It's the cross that says, like verse 15 says here, it's, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not any of that stuff that we do. What are we? It says we're a new creation. 
We're new people. We're ruled by the gospel. Recreated by his spirit, bearing fruit by his grace. So this morning, here's my question I want to ask as the worst team comes up. What owns your heart and your soul's affections this morning? What are you obsessed about? What defines you? I mean, listen, this question is everything because what we're obsessed about, that's what will drive us. What you boast in, what you're passionate about, it becomes what your life is about. So my question again this morning for all of us, what is it that drives you this morning? What drives me this morning? Paul says, I won't boast in anything else. I won't obsess about anything else but the cross of Christ. That was the driving force behind his life, so he was free. Paul was free from the approval of other people. Paul was free from his sin. He was free from this need to, I gotta be better. He was free from all those hurts we hold on to. He was free from a past full of sin and broken choices. Free forever. So what do we do this morning? We draw near to the cross. We recognize that that God wants joy for us. God's not looking to make you miserable. God, God isn't looking to point a finger of judgment at you. He did that to Christ for you. And this morning, he's looking to heal, to forgive, to set free in his grace, to chip away at our hearts that are so easily enticed to obsess about everything but Jesus. And God's at work even right now, drawing our hearts to freedom and to life, drawing our hearts back to the cross where we die and are raised again to new life and freedom. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, this morning we come once again and worship together with our brothers and sisters to see your cross again, Lord Jesus. That we would see at your cross that we're set free, free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from striving, and that we bring nothing As the old hymn says, nothing else do I cling only to the cross. We've got nothing but you, Lord Jesus, but in that we have everything. That we might see the cross again and be set free. To see your love poured out on us, your grace given to us, your justice taken care of all of our sin and shame. And that God, you would send us out from here. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.